Good morning. Good to see you all again a little bit closer up. Thankful for the opportunity today to worship together. I ask you to turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. We'll be looking there, excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 4. We'll be looking there in verse 6, 6 through 8. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Verses 6 through 8, as you know, hopefully, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, Paul being one who has finished his race, who has run his course, an older minister writing to a younger minister to encourage him on how to keep the faith, how to teach others, and how to strengthen himself in these things. And he tells them that there will be times for discouragement in chapter 4, Verse 1, he says, the ones that you pastor and lead will at times depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. So he says, there will be times where those who you are ministering to will depart from the faith. And then he encouraged them, encourages Timothy on how he is to handle such things and how he is to continue in teaching and training for godliness. And so he says down in verse 6, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you. God, what a blessing it is this morning to be able to sing praise to your name. God, how thankful are we that this morning as we woke up, your mercies were new for us, not waning or wasted away. The supply was not low, Father, but it was everything we needed always. And so God, as we gather here, having sung praises to your name, having been able to witness and encourage that those baptisms, God, of those coming to faith in you and identifying with your son, Jesus Christ, through his life, death, and resurrection. God, how encouraged should we be this morning as we look to your word? As we look to your word this morning, make sure that none of us in this room will turn away from you. May we not give ourselves to silly myths or insincere lies, but may we, may we be focused on the good doctrine, the good faith. May we be found faithful, Father, as you are faithful, all for your glory, and we recognize that only happens by the power of your Spirit working in our lives. So, as beggars this morning, we come saying, send your Spirit amongst us. Change us, mold us, and shape us into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. May your glory be evident in every song sung, in every word spoken. For as Christ Jesus we proclaim and nothing else. And in his name we pray. Amen. Well, welcome to the new year. I know this is our second Sunday. I'm thankful for Dr. Finn last week preaching the word for us. But this is my first time in the pulpit for 2022 addressing you as your pastor and every every year that comes along now seems all the more significant especially the older I get and some of y'all don't worry about those kind of things 
But every time you have this new year turn, it's just all the more significance happens. It feels as they say, the days tend to go by short, I mean slowly, but the years go by in a flash. And so just as much as we are here today, we're reminded, as I said this past Wednesday, that 2022 is the year of the birth of George Jetson. Time is flying. <laughs> we're reminded of these things. And I'm, I'm not a big poem guy. I'm, I'm from Red Bank, South Carolina, so you may have suspected that about me. A few nursery rhymes here or there, maybe some others. But I think often about a poem I heard as a young man really uh, in church listening to the pastor. And sometimes, I know, I understand, you forget what the pastor said, but one little thing sticks with you. That never happens in here, I know. But I remember this poem, and I remember thinking how long it was. And I, it, it caught my attention that, but as the pastor kept going and the refrain of this poem kept catching me and putting an impression upon me. It's a poem about the brevity of life how short life is, how quickly it passes by, and how we need to make much of it in that time period. It's written by a man named C.T. Studd. C.T. Studd, who has a great last name, but was born in England in 1860 to a wealthy father. He had everything he wanted. He became a famous cricketer at that time, leading for the England national team and playing all over the world in those years. He attended Cambridge and had everything he could want laying at his feet. During his time there, his father was converted during the preaching of Dwight Moody, who came to England. And soon after, Charles, C.T., followed Christ as well. At Cambridge, he joined in with several other fellows who would come to be known as the Cambridge Seven. These Cambridge Seven, seven young men who had everything that life had, 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 could give to you laying at their feet, they all committed there that they would leave the promises of future safety and security and go to China to work with Hudson Taylor and the China Inland Mission. C.T. Studd would spend his life in China, India, and finally dying in the Congo of Africa in 1931, proclaiming the name of Jesus. You may have heard of his poem, One Life to Live, especially the refrain, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. With that line, with that line, it may be familiar to all of us. You may have that cross stitched on your wall somewhere at your house. But what I want to do today is like that pastor did to me and just kind of settle in on that poem and read it to you. So just listen to me, if you will, as I read Only One Life by C.T. Studd. Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its days I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. 
When this bright world tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep. In joy or sorrow, thy word to keep. Faithful and true with air the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn. Living for thee and thee alone, bring thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I read that today because I believe that. I believe what this poem is teaching us is absolutely true. I believe that only what we do in the name of Christ and for his glory will truly last. And as the word teaches us, and this world may come to an end, and all of the earth shake and quake, it is only those who are standing upon the firm foundation, the solid rock, which is Jesus Christ, who will stand sure and stand forever. That those are the things we must be building our life on. Those are the things we must be holding fast to. Those are the things, what we build it on in Christ. And when we recognize as people, we recognize that every breath that we receive is a gift from him. And every heartbeat that causes, that, that is in, within our body, that brings blood throughout our whole system, that's a gift from God. None of us cause ourselves to breathe. None of us cause our hearts to beat. All of those things are gifts from God. And we recognize then that every moment in time, every second, is a gift from our precious Savior. Now, how are we going to use those things? Becomes the ultimate question for us. And I think it's right for us as we start this new year, it's right for us to hone in on how do we structure our lives so that we can say only what's done for Christ will last. And that's what we're doing. That's what we're hoping for. As we start the new year, I'm not simply talking about some new resolutions. We know where those tend to end up, right? I'm talking about creating new habits in our life. I'm talking about pursuing a goal. I'm not talking simply about reading your Bible through. That's a great exercise. But we're not just trying to check boxes to say we've done something or accomplished it. And you should, and we're going to give you resources to read your Bible through. But that's not what we're after. I'm not just talking about having a daily quiet time of prayer and worship. That is a great exercise, a great habit, but it is not the goal of our life. We let the Bible determine our goals. So oftentimes we like to negotiate how much we're going to give to the Lord and how much we want to do. But understand Christianity does not allow us that privilege. As we set goals, we understand that we fall under the Lordship of Christ and it is God himself who sets the goals for us. It is God's word who determines how we should live. It is God's word who determines how we should follow after him. We don't get to negotiate that plan. The goal for us, as God's words tells us, is for us to grow in his grace and to pursue after his holiness. That's the goal. That's the goal. The author of Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 says, pursue holiness and let this sit with you at the beginning of this year. Pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Do you hear the, the, the inference there? The clear statement there even. 
Pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. If we want to grow in the Lord, if we want to see him, then we must pursue after him. We must be running toward him. As Hebrews 6.1 says, we must go on to maturity. We must grow in godliness. We must grow in grace. We must pursue after his holiness. But let me make a note here. Something else I want to say. That's the goal, to pursue after holiness, to go on in maturity, as Hebrews 6.1 says. But Hebrews 6.3 in responding says, we go on to maturity if God permits. In other words, maturity is not just something we can say, I'm going to grab it. Maturity is not just something that we can say, I'm going to do this. It is something that we're absolutely dependent upon the Lord in. And so if God permits, we'll go on to maturity. If God permits, we'll pursue after these things in holiness. So how do we do this? How do we pursue holiness, but at the same time recognize that it is only God who can grant it or permit it for us? We do it. We pursue after it by using the means and the exercises, the disciplines, if you will, the habits that God himself has ordained for us to use. God has not just ordained that we as his children will grow in grace and find holiness. God has ordained the means by which we get there. And so this morning, that's what we want to talk about. Over these next few weeks, several weeks, we want to look at these habits that God has laid out for us that should be an everyday part of our life, part of our daily rhythm, our weekly rhythm, our monthly rhythm. What are the habits that God would have for us, the means of grace that God would have for us, for us to grow in him and to go on to maturity? That's why we refer to these as our spiritual habits. There's many great resources out there on this subject. Our, our ministry team has worked hard to provide those resources for us. Maybe when you came in, you got one of these little cards that's got this scribbly stuff down here on here. I'm sure someone can tell y'all how to use this QR code, but it takes you to a page that will inform you of so many resources, helping you to grow in grace. We want to provide you with all of those things. I remember while I was a student in college, a book that shaped me more than any other at that time was a book by Jerry Bridges called Pursuit of Holiness that called me after faithfulness, that recognized in my own life that I should be doing things to pursue after the Lord. I'm thankful for my friend Don Whitney, a book that has had great impact across Christianity, spiritual disciplines for the Christian life, so helpful for us to recognize what it is we are to be doing. Lately, I've found a great resource in a book called Habits of Grace by David Mathis. There are three main habits, I believe, that we as believers, in order to truly pursue holiness and grow in godliness, must be doing and doing regularly. Three main habits that we must look to. And I want us to look at these over uh, this week being an introduction, the next three weeks. And those three habits are scripture, especially scriptural intake, getting into God's word. Prayer, calling upon God's name, and worship, glorifying God in everything we do. I believe these are the three habits, the three means by which God has laid out for us to grow in grace and to pursue after holiness. And these things are not just a Sunday morning thing. These things are an every morning, every day thing and part of our life. We cannot make God bless us. As David Mathis writes, God's regular channels of grace are his voice, word, scripture, his ear, prayer, and his body, worship. 
His regular means of these things. We cannot make God bless us. We cannot force him to make his favor flow upon us. As Hebrews says, this growth growth only happens as God permits. So how do we get it? As David Mathis continues, he says that God has given us circuits to connect to and pipes to open expectantly. In other words, what are we plugged into? What are we opening up in our life that will flow into our life? What are those things? And if you desire to pursue holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, so hopefully it is your desire. And you must live a life of faithfulness to become a better follower of Jesus. If you desire all of these things, then you must put yourself in the path of God's grace and mercy in your life. I was hoping just a little while ago the train went by. I was hoping, I prayed, Lord, let the train go by at just this point in time, but it didn't happen. The Lord knows what's best. That train's been going by this church longer than any of us have been alive. Every Sunday morning it goes by in both services. But what's true is we have never, sitting here in this church, been under threat that that train's going to run into this building and hit us. That train has tracks that it is set upon and it always runs onto. And if you want to get hit by the train, you know where to go, and I do not encourage it. (laughs) But so it is with God's Word. Oftentimes, we try to find God's blessing. Oftentimes, we try to find God's goodness. We try to find His holiness outside of the track by which God has laid for us. But what the Word teaches us is that if you want God's blessing, His goodness, and His holiness in your life, then you get on the track and get hit by it through Scripture and prayer, and the word. You want to receive God's grace, then get in the way of it. And this is the way God has said it comes to us through scripture and prayer and worship. This is the way it comes to us through scripture and prayer and worship. If you want God's grace in your life, if you want his holiness to overcome you, and if you want your life to mean something, then then you get in the way of his grace. You do the things he's called us to do. A great place to understand this is in our passage that I read earlier, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Our passage here, as I said, Paul is writing to the young Timothy on this very subject, how to pursue growth in the grace of the Lord. As I said, he encourages him, even saying some is going to depart. That's, that's happened to Paul. It's going to happen to you. There's going to be some who leave the faith. And, and, and what we have to do is we have to remain true to it. Even though they left, they leave because they give in to insincere lies, he said. Not because the truth is not strong enough. Not because his word is not good enough. So he says, you remain faithful to teach and preach the word. And three notes I want us to make here. If at the beginning of this year, we want to pursue after holiness. At the beginning of this year, we want to make a stand on who we are and what we're after and, and, and make these spiritual habits God has given us as a part of our regular life. Then there's three things I think this passage teaches us. First, you must identify yourself as belonging to Jesus. You must identify yourself as belonging to Jesus. He says, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. You'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Each one of us in this room must determine, and really this determination is not a one and done thing, it's an everyday thing, an every moment thing. Each one of us must determine who it is we are living for. Who is it that we are giving our life to? That goes for those of us who have been Christians for years. We must continually determine who is it that we're living for? Who is it that I've given my life to? Some of you have never claimed Christ as Savior. Today, you need to determine, 
Am I identified with Christ or am I not? That's why I love the beautiful picture of baptism. Baptism is that. As Paul says in Romans 6, it is just that. It's us identifying ourselves with Christ Jesus, being buried with him, being raised with him to new life. It's us saying, I no longer belong to me. I belong to Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And what Paul is saying here to Timothy is that the most primary thing about you, the most important thing about you is that who are you living for? Are you living for Christ? You must identify yourself as belonging to him before we can ever discuss the pursuing after holiness, before we can ever discuss creating habits of grace in our life. We must determine who it is we're living for because who it is we're living for determines our priority. The world is after your identity. Every advertisement you see is calling you to find your satisfaction in this or see your satisfaction in that. Every Major agenda you look at is trying to encourage you to find your identity here, not in any other thing, but they're battling after your identity. What it is that's your primary purpose, what it is that you are after, what's most important to you. A whole world is after that. And what Paul says to Timothy is that your primary purpose, your most important thing about you is that you identify yourself with Jesus Christ and nothing of this world. The priority must be Jesus. This is why so many, by the way, of our New Year's resolutions fail. Because we don't make the priority and do the things necessary to make the changes in our life according to that priority. In other words, if we're going to live our life with Jesus as our identity, then we must change our life to be focused on the one we're living for. We must do what he's called us to do. What does it mean? It means something to have Jesus as our identity. It means him to, have our, to be our primary choice. What does that mean for us? It means that we spend daily time with him. It means that we look to his word for all guidance and strength. It means that we worship him and give glory to another. It means those things. And for us today, our identity must be found in him. I would encourage you, as the world tries to, to determine your identity for you, whether it's your job, whether it's your family, whether it's your gifts and talents, your abilities, whether it's your wealth, your fame, whatever it may be, the world is telling you you're only worth that bottom line. But what Christ has said, Christ has said you're worth way more than that. You're worth the very life of the Son of God who came to suffer and die for you. And he came to suffer and die so that he could redeem you, save you, and bring him back to you, himself. And so to find your identity in Christ is to find all of your satisfaction there. To find your identity in Christ is to find all of your hope there. To find your identity in Christ is to find all of your dreams coming true because now you have found the one you've longed for and you're no longer feeding on the husks of this world, but you're feeding from the great ransom of Jesus Christ our Lord. And the blood has covered us. Now redeeming love has been our theme and it shall be till I die. Because of what Christ Jesus has done, that's our identity. That's our hope. And you must make that decision even today. Oftentimes we look at our life and we say, you know, I identified myself with Christ back in the day. But that's not how Jesus puts it, right? When he says, how will you know them? He says, you'll know them by their fruit. He doesn't say that we know that's an apple tree out there because we were there the day it was planted. I saw the apple seed put into the ground and having seed that apple seed put into the ground, I know forever that is an apple tree. That's not what he says. He says, we'll know them, we'll know their identity by what they produce today. 
What is the fruit that they have on them? What is the fruit that we recognize? And so we'll be known today by our fruit. Oftentimes we think this is a past decision for us, but to identify yourself with Christ is an everyday, every hour decision. Putting our hope and our trust in him at every moment. Let's see here what he says about what it means to identify with Christ. He calls us a couple things. One, he says, if you identify Christ, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus. All of us are serving something. Don't, don't believe you're not. All of us are giving our life to something. All of us are serving something in some way. And so what the Lord says is if you identify yourself with Christ, you'll be serving the, the Lord, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You'll be serving the one who ultimately will finally win. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I've read the book of Revelation, right? Any of y'all read that? Let me summarize it for you. It's an easy book. Jesus wins. Y'all get that? You get to the end and Christ Jesus is on the throne and his enemies have been defeated and he rules and he reigns. And so my goodness, why would you want to serve anybody else? Why would you want to give your life to service of any other place or any other thing? It's Jesus that's on the throne. It's Jesus that rules and reigns. And so as we've been called to serve, we serve the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who rules and reigns over all things. That's the one we serve. I don't know about you, but I like winning, don't you? But not only that, he says that we are servants of the Lord, but in chapter 1 he says we're soldiers of the kingdom. We wage the good warfare. We're servants and we're soldiers. We fight, but in the same way, don't you want to fight for the winning side? Don't you want to fight for the one who came and conquers all? For the one who's ruling and reigning over all things? If I'm going to fight, I want to fight for him. So he says you're a good soldier of the kingdom, waging the good warfare. But not only that, he goes even, even further. You're a servant, you're a soldier, but he says over and over again here in Timothy, you're a child of the king. You're a child of the king, and all the benefits of being in the family belong to you. You're a servant, you're a soldier, you're a child. You belong to the Lord, and the Lord belongs to you. And all of these things now, not only do we get the privilege of serving the one who rules and reigns forever, not only do we get the privilege of fighting with the one who wins ultimately, finally, and completely, but we also get the privilege of calling the one who rules and reigns forever, calling the king of kings and lord of lords. We get this glorious privilege that we did not earn that we did not, not justify by our actions or anything we have done. We get the glorious privilege of calling him Father. Calling upon his name. And the scripture says that we were once children of the devil in John chapter 8 verse 44. But God has redeemed us out of that darkness, called us out of it, and brought us into his marvelous light. And he has adopted us as children of the king into his glorious family. So in that said, anytime God's children want to come to him, God has obligated himself to his children through his son, Jesus Christ. And if you call on my name, I will answer you. This is who we are. Soldiers. Servants children of the king. This is not all that we are, but important to understand in our privileges, our roles, and our purpose as we identify ourselves with Christ. We didn't earn the privilege to be a servant of the Lord. 
We didn't earn the privilege of being a soldier of the king. We didn't earn the privilege of being a child. Those things were granted to us by his grace through his son, Jesus Christ. But now that we are, how is it that we shall live before him, identifying ourselves in this way? We must train ourselves for godliness. As we identify ourselves with the Lord, as servants, soldiers, and children, now we train ourselves for godliness. He says, as a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and the good doctrine that you have followed have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Train yourself up. Since we had nothing to do with our position, being, being servants and soldiers and children, God's grace has brought us that through his mercy and his salvation. All we do is respond to it with glorious privilege, right? But now, now that we have been identified in that way, now here's how we are to live for him. We're to train ourselves up. We're to train ourselves up. What's expected of you as you serve? What does a child of the king do? What are the expectations of children? How does the soldier learn to fight? Who is the real enemy? What are our weapons? All of these things are things we must train ourselves up in as we work to God's word. In our passage, Paul says this. He says, you got to be trained. You be trained in the words of faith and good doctrine. You got to be trained in the word of God. You've got to learn it. You've got to devour it. You've got to read it. You've got to let it soak into everything you are. It's the training that we long for. Not only that, you have to learn what's irreverent and silly. Man, if Christians could only learn what's irreverent and silly and stay away from those things, how much better off would we be? Not getting caught up with the nonsense of this world, but trusting in the truth of God's word. When you go to those irreverent and silly myths, then you are easily, could be picked off, as it says in chapter 4, verse 1. Don't buy into those, Paul says. Train yourself up to know what those are. Train yourselves up in godliness. And how do you train yourselves up? Just as we've said, through God's word, scripture, prayer, worship making that a part of your everyday life, a regular participation in these things, your daily routine, your weekly routine, your monthly routine, scripture, prayer, and worship must be a part of those things. That's how you train yourself up for godliness. That's how God has shown you or demonstrated for you how you are to be prepared, how you are to live for him. Not only that, third and finally, you identify yourself with Christ, you train yourself up with godliness, Third, you prepare yourself for heaven. You prepare yourself for heaven. I have learned in my life as I've gotten older, you know, you, you, you grow up and you think of all the things you want to do, the bucket list, if you will. But what I've learned is that nothing in this world is going to bring me more pleasure than Jesus Christ himself. And if you were to add all the things of this world together, right, that would be, y'all know the hymn, that would be an offering far too small for the love so amazing, so divine, which demands my soul, my life, my all. I've learned as we look through life that there's nothing in this world that can bring me more pleasure than Jesus Christ himself. And so I long for the day that I could see him face to face. When all my hopes and joys can be realized, when all my satisfaction can be finally complete, when the already is over and the already, I mean, the not yet is over and the already has come. I long for that moment. 
And we should, men, we should understand that that's what we as believers are preparing ourselves for. We begin with the end in mind. We wake up every day knowing that today is a day that the Lord has made. We wake up every day knowing that his mercy is new and fresh for me, never taxed, never waning, it's always right there. We wake up every day knowing every breath is a gift from God. We wake up every day knowing every heartbeat is a gift from God. And we wake up every day preparing ourselves for the day finally that we get to see him face to face. That's what life is about for us. We prepare ourselves for that moment. We get ready. We, we are being carved into the image of the Son so that we will be prepared to see him face to face. We spend much time, as verse A says, for while bodily training is some value. I take that as my life verse, by the way. That's why. Obviously, it's good for us. Obviously, it's good. Those things, bodily training, those things are good for us. It's of some value. But he says... Consider this, uh, and most of you may have done your New Year's resolution or looked at your year and it included something on this. I want to get in shape. I want to look well. I want to be healthy in those things. But what Paul says is this, bodily training is of some value. Godliness is of value in every way. If that's your only goal is to get healthy physically, then you've missed what God has called you to do. That our main goal should be healthy spiritually, to be pursuing after him in our life. Because that's good for us in every way. As it holds promise for the present life, it's good for us today and also for the life to come. The employment of, of the people of God for all, eter all eternity will be the worship of the one Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. So what we do here as we gather into this space, what we do here as we come together week in, week out, as we practice. And while it may be imperfect and all the preferences may not be like you are, that's not what it's about. What it's about is that we practice preparing ourselves for the day we will see our Savior face to face. We get ready for that moment. And while it may be a little bit of a glimpse of it here on earth, we long for the day when all the uncertainty of this world, all the wickedness that surrounds us, all the darkness that is here, all of that has passed away. We long for the day when it's done, it's over, and there's nothing of that left, but only the light shines, Jesus Christ our Lord. And he made everything that was wrong right again. And he's made everything that was bad good. And he's turned this world on its head for the glory of his name. We long for that day. But in longing for it, what the scripture calls us to do is to live for it. And how do we do that? We live for that day by preparing ourselves every moment. The more we know through the Bible and scripture, the more we long to be with him in prayer, the more we give to him all the glory in worship, the more we are preparing ourselves for the day we get to see him face to face. And I want to be ready for that. Scripture tells me that it's surely coming to each and every one of us. But it also lets us know that we have no idea when. So how do you prepare for something that's surely definitely coming and you don't know when it's going to happen? You prepare for it right now. Right now. By giving yourself to the very things God has given us. To grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. By giving ourselves to his word by giving ourselves to prayer, by giving ourselves to worship, we long for that day that Christ is returning. It, some say you get variations. It can take 21 to 66 days to create a habit. So that's some variations. Some of y'all a little more hard-headed than others. 
But that's why we refer oftentimes to these things as disciplines. The intentionality that it takes for us to get up and to read his word and to pray and to worship him. The intentionality is a discipline sometimes. But what we must be after is knowing that even through the discipline, the glory that awaits us whenever we begin to grow in that knowledge and grace, that we must be creating these habits in our life even now. I was reminded yesterday that yesterday was the anniversary, 66 years ago, I believe, of Jim Elliott and the martyrs in Ecuador, January 8th. 1956, Jim Elliott and four others trying to reach a people and were killed. There's a lot of great Jim Elliott quotes, but I like this one, simple, but so sure. He says, when it comes time to die, make sure that all you have to do is die. The Lord says, pursue holiness without which you will never see me. When it comes time to die, make sure that's all we have to do. And how is that true for us? By creating habits in our life that prepare us for Christ, that demonstrate our identity, that show our hope for eternity, that train ourselves up so we can demonstrate to the world we love him. May that be true for each and every one of us as we seek to commit to those things this year. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and your truth. God, may we be given over to good doctrine, sound teaching, to word, Father. We thank you for this. God, I ask this morning as we have gathered in this place that you would work in every heart, in every life. God, that you would be moving even now to calling each and every one of us to commit again afresh and anew to develop habits in our life that glorify and honor you. Give us a heart for your word. Give us a, a longing for prayer to know you and to be with you. God, make worship our goal in everything we do. For in everything we do, let's give glory to you. God, most importantly this morning, each and every one of us have to identify somewhere. So I pray I pray that each and every person in this room within the sound of my voice, today they will declare that we identify with Jesus Christ. Maybe that's a fresh and a new thing, a renewal or recommitment for them for this year. I identify with Christ. Maybe it's the first time, God. Maybe it's the first time they say, I identify my life with Christ. I want to give it to him. God, be working through your spirit in these things. All for your glory and all for your name, we recognize that whatever happens in this place, the only way it happens to be true and real is if your spirit works. So I beg your spirit to work and to move even now in the hearts and lives of each and every person. May their commitments be true. May their hearts be turned toward you. All for your glory. If you're here this morning and you want to identify yourself in Christ, maybe a recommitment, maybe for the first time, we'll be standing here in the front ready to receive you, to talk to you about these things, to guide you and help you in it. If you're here today because you're looking for a church home to, to guide you and comfort you and help you through this process of growing closer to Jesus and developing spiritual habits and you love to join us, I'll be here in front to receive you. All for the glory of Christ we pray. Amen.